Thanks, Sammy. That's so great. Crew, how are we doing? Okay. I'm not staying up here. That's what I've just decided because I feel like I'm 150 feet away from some of you. And if my spit can't hit your face, I'm not close enough, I think. So <laughs> splash zone right here. I think this feels good. Yeah. Is this okay? Can you see me? I don't care. I'm staying here. Um, but we doing okay? Ready for the school year to be done? You get that taste of spring break. You're like, I could get used to this. Psych back into like all your classes and all the work you didn't do over break. And then you're feeling a lot of regret and wishing summer were here and wondering if you're going to make it. You're probably going to fail all your classes. You're stressing out about everything. Is that about right? Yeah, okay. Hey, deep, deep breath. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Um, you guys ever seen those uh, expectation versus reality like posts on Instagram? These kinds of things? You know, maybe, uh, maybe some of you freshmen, you had this like expectation of like college life and what that was going to look like. You thought you'd just always be like in an Eno hammock reading a book, having a little vibe moment with Pikes Peak in the background, and yet you come to find out really it's just you having a lot of dirty laundry, having a weird roommate, and stressing out about your classes all the time, not quite as glamorous as you thought, or maybe you've, um, do you guys ever rent Airbnbs? Are you at the point in life where you get to rent them before? Like you see the pictures, expectations, you're like, this thing's amazing, and then you get there and you're like, it's a crap hole. Um, that's what expectations versus reality are like. Or maybe you just Google search some like restaurant you want to go eat at, and they have incredible pictures, and then you get there, and then once again, crap hole. Um, or maybe even expectations versus reality. Like you're like, I think I want to become a foodie person. Or, or like, I want to be a barista. Like I want my lattes to have a swan in them. And then you try to do the swan thing and it's just like a white blob on top. And uh, expectations often aren't met, but sometimes our expectations are lower and the reality ends up exceeding them. Uh, maybe for you, you had low expectations coming into college. Like you're like, high school's the most amazing thing in the world. I'll never understand that sentiment. But for some of you, like high school is like your peak, and you're like, everything's just going to be a downgrade from here. But then you got to college, you're like, actually, this is bomb. This is pretty great. And I found crew, and I'm having an awesome time. Uh, other times, maybe like for me, going to my first crew winter conference, low expectations. Uh, found out when I was there, uh, I was going to room with three other guys. Didn't know that was happening. I also didn't know I'd be sharing a bed with one of those three guys that I didn't know. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to be in a bed with this dude that I haven't met for five days. Like, what the crap is crew? Turns out that guy became one of my best friends, and I had an awesome time at Winter Conference. It was amazing. Um, that guy's name was Ty, and for the first month of his marriage, I got to tell his wife, he and I slept in a bed more than you did. Don't know. I didn't plan to say that. That just comes out. Um, <laughs> let's try to turn a corner, though. Point is, though, um, expectations don't always match reality, do they? For better or for worse. And the question I want to really kind of ask each of you tonight is, are your expectations of who Jesus is consistent with reality? Are your expectations of what it means to follow Jesus actually consistent with what it really means to follow him. You know, for Christ and his disciples, his disciples were frequently finding that their expectations of who he was and what it meant to follow him weren't actually right. 
They were confronted with this over and over again. They expected Jesus to be something that he wasn't, and as a result, it would mean that what they thought following him would look like often didn't look that way. So if you're anything like me, I'm going to bet that your expectations of what it means to follow Jesus are out of line too. Uh, we live in a time and in a, and in a culture that says to each one of us that the most important thing in life is being true to yourself. That's what's most important, being true to you, being authentic. You should trust your desires, and you should let your desires, what is in you, you should let those be your compass in life. They should be the things that direct you and guide you. In fact, it might even be said this way, that salvation and fulfillment is found in being authentic. Do you think that that's true for your time and your culture? Do you feel like that sentiment is true? Well, Jesus says something radically different than what our world would say, even what many of us might say. He would say that salvation isn't found in fulfilling yourself. It's found in denying yourself. Salvation isn't found in fulfilling yourself. It's found in denying yourself. And so we find ourselves in the church calendar in a week called Holy Week. This is where we're looking at the last week of Jesus' earthly life in ministry on his way to the cross, which is what we celebrate on Good Friday tomorrow. And so one of the things that Jesus does throughout his life, throughout his ministry, and what I so love about him is he is honest the whole way through. He's honest the whole way through about what it will mean if he were going to follow him. He's also clear about what the cost is if you reject him. And so at no point does Jesus ever sugarcoat things for us. He, he doesn't try to kind of make things look more glamorous than they actually are. In fact, over and over again, he's going to tell his disciples that he's going to suffer, he's going to die. He knows that Good Friday is coming and that on that day, he will be crucified. And he knows it long before it's actually going to even happen. And the disciples never dreamt, dreamt that that was actually going to happen for Jesus. Like, they didn't understand the true cost for them of what it would mean to follow him. And so their expectations weren't in sync with reality. But rather than that being a letdown, the truth is that following Jesus would cost a lot more than they expected, but he is also far more valuable and far greater than they would have ever dreamed. So my hope for each one of you tonight is that whether you would call yourself a Christ follower or not, that you would see more clearly who Jesus is, that you would see what it costs to follow him, and you would see why he's worth everything you have. So let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. And as you're turning there, let me pray for you and pray for me, and pray for us. Father, would you, would you do what you do, God, and that is speak through your word. God, would your word speak to us tonight? Would we hear the words of Jesus as what they really are, his words? 
and that we wouldn't just feel like we're eavesdropping in on a conversation, but actually, God, we would hear your word, not only to the disciples, but we would hear your word to us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what I can't do. Would you convict us where there's sin? Would you give us eyes to see Jesus for the treasure and the beautiful Savior that he is? God, would you help us to see where our lives and our expectations are out of alignment and help us to live into the goodness and the beauty and the truthfulness of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. We'll pick up in verse 18. If, uh, if I were going to, I don't know what your Bible calls this. My, my Bible calls this Peter confesses the Christ, Jesus as the Christ. If I were going to put it in there, I'd say this is the most important question ever. Here it is in verse 18. We pick it up. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. We'll stop there. Throughout the first half of Luke's gospel, there are lots of questions swirling about who Jesus is. Uh, you have the scribes and the Pharisees. It's just this question that shows up all, all over the place. In Luke 5, who, can, who is this that can forgive sins? In Luke 7, who is this? Uh, that the, uh, the people he was eating with asked. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He calms the storm. They marveled, and they say, who is this that he commands the winds and the water? So you just have all of these people, both Pharisees and scribes, crowds, people, even the disciples themselves that are like, who is this guy? Who is he? that he forgives sins, that he commands storms, that he raises the dead. Who is this? And so it's not like people saw Jesus' miracles and they were like, oh, he's God. No, in fact, they, they, they get really excited about Jesus. They, they think he's something special. But there's also a lot of confusion, too. And in fact, up until this point in Luke's gospel, there's only one group that actually recognizes Jesus for who he truly is. Guess who? The demons. The demons. Luke chapter 4. One of the demons said, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Later in Luke 4, other demons come out, and they cry, they're crying, saying, You are the Son of God. And so other than the demons... No one has recognized Jesus' true identity up to this point. They haven't recognized him as the Messiah, as God in flesh, not even Jesus' disciples yet. And so Luke tells us here that Jesus is out praying by himself, and his disciples come along, and he asks them two questions. The first one, he says, who do people say that I am? And they give the response that we just read. Well, some of the people saying, think he's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was this dude. He's the one that baptized Jesus, also got his head cut off by Herod. So that brother's dead. But some people are still like, but I think he might be John the Baptist. So there, some people are legit thinking John the Baptist came back from the dead. Other people think he's Elijah or one of the prophets. All that to say, 
whatever they think, they think he's special. They think he's something of a big deal because they're, he's being compared to some pretty significant figures. Kind of like when we say, like, LeBron is the next Michael Jordan. We're saying, yeah, LeBron's kind of a big deal. I mean, Michael Jordan's a, the biggest deal. He's the GOAT. But maybe LeBron might be the GOAT. But maybe it was Kobe that was the GOAT. All, either way. Uh, but ultimately, we're, we're comparing him to these bigger figures. And so all the miracles that Jesus has done casting out demons, raising people from the dead, healing diseases, commanding the storms, they put him in a league of his own. He's greater than all of them. He's unlike anyone else. And here is where Jesus' second question comes. Not asking, what, who do people say who I, who I am? But look in verse 20. He asked this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. You see, in the end, it doesn't really matter what people think about Jesus, what the crowds think about him. Jesus wants to know what his disciples think about him. And we don't know at this point really how long the disciples had been with him. It could have been months, maybe even years. But regardless, they've seen him do the incredible. They've seen him do the impossible. And now Jesus is calling his disciples to be more than spectators. He's calling, calling them to be followers. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is the most important question you will ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? You see, if you want to walk with Jesus, you can't, you can't just sit as a spectator. You have to make a decision about his identity. And don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking that just because you go to church or you go to crew or you go to a Bible study or you lead a Bible study or you go on a mission, or you do this trip, or you do this thing, don't confuse attending things with following Jesus. You know that there's a difference between those things, yeah? There's a difference between attending things and following Jesus. Who do you say he is? Well, Peter here is right. Peter says Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, which is a Hebrew word that means the anointed one. And Peter is right. And you might expect that as Peter finally gets clarity about this, Peter being the kind of spokesperson for the rest of the disciples, this kind of big moment where it's like they get it. They see who he is. It's not just the demons anymore that recognize him. It's the disciples I mean, you would think there would be celebration, high fives. Hey, let's post it on Instagram. This is a big deal. Let's get the word out. But what does Jesus do? <laughs> Instead of this celebration on the heels of Peter's confession, we read in verse 21. Look there with me. Verse 21, Jesus strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man, referring to himself must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus immediately begins to say 
I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. And this would have been, you want to think about like the most unexpected thing to happen on the heels of Peter saying that Jesus is the Christ, this is it. The guy who raises people from the dead, the one who commands the sea, God in flesh, you're going to die now? No. You see, it's not enough for Peter just to get Jesus' identity right. That's only the first step. To be able to say Jesus is God, that's not enough. To be a true follower of Christ, to be a true disciple, we must be willing to do what Jesus requires of all of his followers. And he tells us what that's going to be next. Looking in verse 23. It's not enough just to get his identity right. Here's what he says. He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I wonder if, if I could sit down with each one of you and I could ask you, tell me in two words how to follow Jesus. What two words would you say? Love him? Worship him? glorify him? What two words does Jesus choose? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. What does a disciple of Jesus do? Deny themselves. Expectations reality. You see, notice Jesus' words aren't just for his 12 disciples. They're for you. He, He says, if anyone, if anyone wants to come after me, and he not only says that you have to deny yourself, he says you take up your cross daily, every day, today, and tomorrow, and the day after that. J.T. Inglis, a pastor, he, he talking about this in a book, he says, he says, according to Jesus, discipleship is not about self-actualization. It's not about self preservation. It's actually about self-denial. You will know yourself most, he says, when you are carrying your cross. All of our self-actualized visions of discipleship in our own little kingdoms need to crumble and be crucified 
if the kingdom of God is going to reign in our lives. True self-knowledge comes not through being true to yourself, but through denying yourself. You want to know yourself as your God made you? It's not by being true to you. It's by denying you. It also shows us, he says, that the way to follow the person of Christ is to carry the cross of self-denial, not the crown of self-improvement. How often does following Jesus require us to deny ourselves? Every day. And so maybe something for you to think about if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, is if you, never, <laughs> if you never deny yourself, you can be sure that you're not following Jesus. If this isn't like a part of like your reality, denying yourself, you can be sure you're not following him. Because he says that this is the way, is to pick up our cross, deny ourselves daily. That's how we follow him. C.S. Lewis kind of says something related to this this way. He says, relying on God has to begin all over every day as if nothing had yet been done. Every day, I start all over again. Every day is a new chance to start following Jesus. And I think so few, if you're, and again, if you're anything like me, I think I rarely think of how this is, what Je- this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is not the way my mind thinks my, or even what my heart wants. Like, as I'm telling this to you, I'm not like, yeah, this sounds awesome. It doesn't. It sounds like death. What do you think picking up your cross means? Why would anyone want to sign up for this? Maybe you're asking yourself that. I think about that often. Who would sign up for this? Just, cool, what does crew believe? Well, they believe in following Jesus, and how do I do that? Deny yourself. (laughs) Some of you aren't reacting. You're like, but that's the right answer. And you're like, yeah, but it kind of (laughs) sucks. You see, we think to ourselves, we think, well, God loves me. Here's how we would like it to be. God loves me. He wants me to be happy. Therefore, uh, whatever I think is best for me, clearly that's what God thinks is best for me too, right? Like, I know what I should do with my summer or how I should date people. And it's like, if it makes me happy, that's happy. That's the litmus test of whether God's good with it. And you know what? Jesus knows that you think this way. He knows that you and I are people who passionately pursue what we believe will bring us joy. Like, you get that? Like, that's not something you have to try to do. You and I, like, there's a reason why no one has to convince me to go to Chick-fil-A. I just gravitate there. Why? Because there is happiness and joy waiting for me right behind that CFA sauce. Like, it's just right there. And so we're always moving towards what we believe will bring us joy and happiness and fulfillment, right? We always do that. He knows that about this. That's why he says what he says next. Look in verse 24. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? 
You see, in these verses, he's, he's really giving us four reasons why you should take up your cross daily. He's going to motivate us. He's going to give you really, I think, important motivations. And here's the very first one that he gives you. He says, whoever will, who would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What's he saying? What's he saying when he says that? You see, if, if all of your life decisions, if all your lifestyle choices, if they're all rooted in your preferences, your comfort, what you believe will fulfill you, or as he says it, what will save you, he says you're going to lose your soul. If you go after what you think, what you feel will deliver, you think it's going to save you. It's going to crush you and kill you. It doesn't matter if you're able to say that Jesus is God. It doesn't matter that you can identify him rightly. Because guess who else does that? Demons. The difference between disciples and demons is self-denial. What sets disciples apart from demons is self-denial. Disciples follow Christ. They pick up their crosses and follow him. And Jesus says, if you deny yourself, if you're willing to lose for my sake, if you're willing to deny yourself, that's the way you save your life. You want fulfillment. You want flourishing. You want all the things that you think you're going to find in these other things. You get it by denying yourself and following me. You see, the very things that you're after you're after, a lot of times, I think you're after the right things, but you're looking for them in the wrong places. If your following of Jesus never requires you to deny yourself, you can be sure you're not following him. What kind of denial are we actually talking about here, though? Like, do, is the goal, like, Nick, are you saying tomorrow I need to wake up and just think, time to deny myself. Okay, I want a cup of coffee, but I need to deny myself. So I got I to gotta drink tea. This sucks. Okay. I really want Chick-fil-A for lunch, but, oh, gosh, I think I got to go settle for, like, I don't know, something really bad, like White Castle or something. I don't know. Like, is that what deny? Is this what we're talking about? It's like, okay, so Jesus says he wants, okay, so, all right. I just, everything I want, I need to n not choose it. That's what I'm after. No. I don't think what Jesus is saying, the way to follow me is by just finding self-denial and just aiming for it every day. I think what he is saying is that if you're going to follow me, it's going to take you in a direction where you're going to have to deny yourself of things that you want. Self-denial is on the path of following me. Does that make sense, the difference? <laughs> We're not pursuing self-denial. We're pursuing Jesus who's going to take us on a path that brings us across places where we have to deny ourselves. Make sense? That's a big difference. 
Here's the way that John Stott says it. He says to, to deny ourselves is to behave toward ourselves as Peter did towards Jesus when he denied him three times. You remember this story? This is what we'll think about tomorrow on Good Friday. Peter says, I'll die with you. And then in Jesus' moment of deepest need, he denies Jesus three times. Jesus dies on a cross with one of his closest followers. Just in, the one who just professed him as the Christ is the same one that denies him. Well, here's what John Stott says. Peter disowned him, repudiated him, turned his back on him. Self-denial is not denying to ourselves luxuries such as chocolates or cakes. It's actually denying or disowning ourselves. Renouncing our supposed right to go our own way. It's, 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 not, it's, it's denying myself of self-preservation. It's denying myself of safety for the sake of following my Lord and my King. He says what, what Peter did to Jesus, we need to do to ourselves. The way that Peter denied Jesus, you need to deny yourself. I'm willing to go down to go with him. Either Jesus is your master or you are. That's what it all boils down to. Either Jesus is your master or you are. You see, his, his call to discipleship doesn't give us a both and kind of situation. It's an either or choice. Do you want to preserve your life or do you want to follow Jesus? Because the beautiful thing is, he says, if you deny yourself and follow me, if you lose your life, you'll save it. You try to save it, you do the self-preservation thing, you do the self-fulfillment thing, you'll lose it. It's the way to hell. If you want to follow him, he has to become more precious to you than you are to you. He gives us three more reasons. We'll go through these faster. Here's reason two and three right here. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit our soul, or forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You see, we often sacrifice God on the altar of good things. You sacrifice God on the altar of good. <laughs> Meaning, what? We, we sacrifice following Jesus for our careers. We sacrifice following Jesus for a romantic dating relationship. We sacrifice following Jesus for comfort. And so what should be our compass in these decisions? Is it just pursuing the hardest road like we were talking about? No. Our compass should be Jesus' glory. It should be going where he's going and where it, cause, where it requires me to deny myself that I do it. Here's the fourth reason he gives. He says, whoever is ashamed of me in my words of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed. You see, what if... That, that sounds pretty crappy to me. Like, that's pretty motivating for me. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus because I, I don't want him to be ashamed of me. 
And so what if our goal in life wasn't to live as long and as comfortably as possible? What if instead we lived our lives for Jesus and his gospel as purposefully and as meaningfully as possible? Can I, can I share with you why I think, personally, why I think it's worth denying yourself for Christ? I'll tell it to you because I need to remind myself too. It's because the God of the universe denied himself for you and me. The God of the universe denied himself for you. He what we celebrate at Christmas, that God put on flesh and became one of us, that in itself, an incredible act of denial. I don't know about you, I don't feel like being a human is a terribly awesome experience all the time. It is both awesome and awful. That's life. Awesome and awful till we die. And God becomes one of us and enters in. But then not only does he do that, but then he does what we celebrate tomorrow. He gets rejected. He gets mocked. He gets put in a robe and a crown of thorns twisted on his head. He gets spit upon, flogged, the creator by his creation. And then he goes to a cross and dies a criminal's death. The God of the universe denies himself. Why? To rescue people like you and me. It's worth denying yourself for him because he's never going to ask you to deny yourself to the degree that he denied himself. And yet, the invitation is there. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, get in line. Let's go to the hill. Let's die together. Like, that's just, that's not like a little coffee cup, Christian bookstore kind of sentiment, like, oh, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. No. It's an invitation to come and die. Who would say yes to that? I would only say yes to that if he's the one that can give me life. If he's the one that brings the dead back to life. He, I would only say yes to that if there's more to this life than just the 60, 70, 80 some years that I have. If I exist a thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, I'll say yes to him. I'd go. And you see, the best part, friends, he doesn't just say, deny yourself and just grit your teeth and earn your way. He loves us. He loves us to the point of bleeding out on a cross for us. How do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? You go to church tomorrow and you celebrate Good Friday. That's how you know he loves you. It is not by searching your feelings. It's not by getting a little tickled down your back if we're singing a worship song. It's not by looking at other people and being like, do I feel as deep? How do I know he loves me? Because he died on a cross for me. That's how you know. He died for you. Is denying yourself worth gaining him? You see, the best part, and that's what it is, the best part of denying yourself, you lose a lot. You get him. And he is worth everything. He's worth everything. 
Everything it costs you to follow him, he can give back to you way more. You see, the, the respect that I lose, that people become ashamed of me because I follow Christ, I have his pride. The love I forfeit because I, I'm trying to follow Jesus and people get upset or mad at me and I lose a relationship or something like that, if it comes at a cost, I lose people's respect, I gain his. It's worth way more. It's eternal. It's everlasting. He's the one I'm made for. I'm not made for you. You're not made for me, and you're not made for anyone else in this room. You're made for him and for him alone. Whatever you're looking for, whatever you're desperate for, it's found in him. He's your maker. He is your savior, and he came for you and I. Man, is he not worth denying yourself for as you think about your summer? Like whatever it is you're doing this summer, or as you think about the next year of your life, is he not worth denying yourself for? Is he not worth denying yourself for as you think about this secret sin in your life that you continue to engage and indulge in? That's de delivering something that you want or something that you feel addicted to or enslaved to. Is he not worth denying yourself for? What, what about the dating relationship that you're in that you know you shouldn't be in anymore? That your boundaries aren't there. That you're engaging in sexual sin with one another. You know it needs to stop. Is he not worth denying yourself for? Is it not worth losing him or her to gain him? Some of you are dating people you shouldn't be dating. They, they don't love Jesus the way that you want to love him. They're pulling you away. You need to end it. Some of you are sinning with each other in this room. It needs to stop today. You need to treasure Jesus more than your comfort. You need to deny yourself. Right now, like tonight, you need to go tell somebody, I need to do this. Others of you, you need to deny yourself of your parents' approval. You are living like they're God and that everything just revolves. You can't stand the thought of not having their full approval. You have to be willing to pick up your cross and follow him and let that go. Why? You gain him. You want to give up him for this thing, this thing for right here and right now, this little thing in 2023, this thing that makes you feel stuck or you, you feel like you're going to give him up for that. Don't do it. The difference between disciples and demons is self-denial. Am I saying you're a demon? No. They sure would like to drag you down to hell with them, though. They would. They would. And listen to me, friends. I, this, is a, this is a hot one. <laughs> We're at the end of the year, so I feel like there's not much to lose, right? I don't, here's what I don't want you to hear me say. Um... I deny Jesus a lot. Still. Today and yesterday 
and it happens tomorrow. Like, so don't let me, just because I'm telling you all these things, don't, don't, don't let me give you the impression that I'm someone who doesn't ever deny Jesus, that I don't choose myself over him, because I do. I'm just like you. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, whatever it is you think of me or whatever other crew staff or pastor or whoever it is that you put on a pedestal, whatever it is you think about them, they're way worse. And I know that that's true of whatever I think about you too. You're way worse than whatever I think about you. Whose life gives me hope is actually Peter's. He does what feels like the unimaginable. He denies Jesus three times. Like at his greatest moment of need. Like he's seen Jesus raise people from the dead, do miracles, professes he's the Christ, and then he denies him. And if you know anything about the story, when Jesus raises from the dead, he goes straight to Peter and he restores Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? In fact, for the three denials, Jesus asks three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. And Jesus recommissions him. And guess what becomes true of Peter's story? That brother denies himself. He doesn't do it perfectly. He gets afraid of people at different points in the New Testament. Paul calls him out at different points, calls him a hypocrite. He gets it right again. He starts picking up his cross, and that's the difference. This isn't about you picking up your cross and doing it perfectly from here into eternity. It's saying, I'm starting new today. Today I pick it up, and I get back on the path with my Savior because I want him. That's the gift of following Jesus is that you get him. And Peter denies himself all the way that history tells us to being crucified upside down. He dies on a cross. I don't know that that will be the path that Jesus calls each one of us to. But there will be a lot of moments in your life where it will feel like death. If following Jesus doesn't ever require you to experience something that feels like death, you're not following him. But friends, we follow the God who brings the dead to life. You want life? You want saving? Join him and die. <laughs> That's what we believe. That's the invitation. Life in him and in him alone. Father, thank you for your word. And Jesus, thank you for your love. <laughs> thank you that this isn't about earning. <laughs> it's about effort. And we remember, God, that grace is opposed to earning. It is not opposed to effort. And you clearly call us to effort. You call us to deny ourselves and to follow you. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. We ask you to free us from the things, God, that make us feel afraid and enslaved that we can't get over and overcome. And yet in your spirit, we know that we can. So God, would you give us the power and the ability to follow you? Would you give us friends who will encourage us and pray for us and stand with us and call one another to more and that when we see sin in not only our lives but in the lives of others, we would call each other to more, that we'd call each other to life. In Jesus' name, amen.